In this series on relationships, we've been talking about uh, the relationship we have with ourselves, the relationship God wants us to have with other people. Last week, we talked about the relationship with our spouse, and today we're going to be talking about our relationship with the other. That is the person who's different from us, one who maybe doesn't think like us, act like us, live like us, believe like us, worship like us, spend money like us, people who are different than we are. And what's interesting is that the other is different for every single person in this room, right? A person who is different than you might be a different person than the other is for me. And so I want you to think this morning, who is the other for you? Who is the other for you? Maybe it's Democrats. Because you can't imagine anybody voting for Hillary Clinton. Maybe it's Republicans. Because when you turn on the TV and you look at the trajectory of our nation, you feel like it's going in the wrong direction. Maybe it's people who are rich because you feel like they're trying to take all the money from everybody else. Maybe it's the poor because you think, how could people in this economy still be poor? Maybe it's people who are a different race than you. Different nationality, different gender, different gender identity, different sexual identity. Maybe it's people who are undocumented. Maybe it's people who kneel during the national anthem. Maybe it's people who still stand during the national anthem with pride. Who is the other for you? The person that maybe you would say is easy to hate or hard to love. We all have these people in our lives, right? We all have these people in our lives. We all have these people in our world. And what I've come to discover is that most of us relate to the other in kind of three typical ways in our lives. And the first way that most of us relate to the other and have relationships with them is simply this. We avoid the other, right? It's, it's avoidance. Because life, quite frankly, is easier when we live it with other people like us. When people think like us, act like us, believe like us, life's a lot less messy than it is when we're surrounded by people who are very different than us, people who are other than us. And I was reminded of this recently when I was in Greenville, South Carolina at a taco shop. And we were headed there and my buddy from college, he said, Jonathan, you're going to love this taco shop because the PLU count is super high there. And I was like, the, the PLU count? And he said, oh yeah, the people like us count. Everybody there kind of looks like us. They're educated, right? It's like everybody there could be your friend. You're going you're gonna to feel real comfortable. And I thought, that's interesting. I've never heard of the PLU count before. The people like us count. And I was like, well, maybe I'll make a new friend at the taco shop. But then I was thinking, wait a second. I don't want tacos made by people who look like me, right? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. But that's a reality for a lot of us. We avoid people who are different than us because it makes life a little bit easier. And sometimes we do this consciously. Sometimes we do it subconsciously. But even we do it in church, right? When you come to a new church and you visit it for the first time, one of the first things you think is, do I fit in here? Sometimes you ask, do the people look like me? Do they act like me? 
I mean, nowadays with, with social media, a lot of us organize our lives this way. Research shows that most of us follow news sites. We're connected with friends. We follow people online who typically believe the same things we do. And in our day and age, it's super easy because if they don't, what do you do? Unfriend, unfollow, right? It's easy. And we're moving into a new neighborhood. We think, you know what? I want to live somewhere with people like me who share my values, people who cut their grass. Or maybe you want to live somewhere where people don't cut their grass and nobody's going to judge you for it. (laughs) It's a common thing that we do is we're drawn to people who are like us and we tend to avoid people who are different than us. And it's a human tendency that a lot of us have. So that's the first way a lot of us treat people who are the other, people who are different than us, is avoidance. But the second way a lot of us treat people who are different than us is with fear. Fear. We fear the other, and the fear comes from a lot of places. I mean, one of the places the fear comes from is just neurologically in the way we've developed over time. Some of the reasons why we fear are due to our cultural upbringing or maybe our our past experiences we learn from. Fear comes from a lot of different places. And I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase also, but we live in a fear-for-profit world. Right? Because fear sells sells things. Newspapers, products. A lot of preachers use fear as a tactic, right? to get money or to get salvations from people. We live in a fear-for-profit world, and you just turn on the TV for about two minutes, and you know this, right? They say on the news, if it bleeds, it leads, right? You've heard that? Because it's generally true. And what's interesting is that research has shown that people who tend to consume a lot of media and watch a lot of TV, they feel their communities are unsafe, whether they are or not. They believe that crime rates are rising, whether they're rising or not. And they consider the world to be a dangerous place. They're more likely to fear others around them. And fear is something that we all live with. And when it comes to people who are different than us, a lot of times we fear maybe something's going to happen to us. Maybe something's going to happen to our loved ones. Maybe something's going to change and that's not comfortable for us. We all live with fear. Emily had a teacher at her school growing up who, the teacher grew up in Papua New Guinea, and where he grew up, in the language that he was learning at the time, the word for stranger and enemy in that culture was the exact same. That's the way it is for us a lot of times, right? Strangers can easily become our enemies instead of simply people. A lot of us respond with fear. But then the third way a lot of us respond is simply with judgment, right? They're wrong, we're right. They're bad, we're good. They're out, we're in. They're going to hell, we're going to heaven. They're part of the problem. We're part of the solution. It's a very natural response a lot of us have to people who are different than us, people who are the other. And what's interesting about avoidance, fear, and judgment is that there are things that we all do in our relationships with others 
But what's interesting is when you look at Jesus' life and how he interacted with people who were different than him, people who were the other, you find that he did things very differently than we do them. We find it different from the very beginning, from the incarnation. Because from the moment when Jesus entered into this world, when God in the flesh entered into this world, it was a little different and a little unexpected. Because if you recall, in some of these sermons we've been talking about, God created this world out of love, right? He created this world out of love. He created us each uniquely in his image out of love. And because we were created in his image, he gave us a measure of freedom. So we could make our choices freely to choose to love him and to love others or, or to not choose to do so. And ever since the very first people, we have been choosing to live separate from God. We've been telling God at a different level, God, you're wrong, we're right, we want to do our own thing. We've separated ourselves. And I don't know about you, but if I were God and the people I created were doing that, well, one, I might just avoid them, right, and create another universe and just forget about them and let them just destroy themselves. Or maybe I would just make their lives miserable, or maybe I, I would punish them. Aren't y'all thankful that I'm not God? Yeah, I am too. And I'm thankful that God didn't respond to us that way. When we turned our backs on him. No, instead, God entered into our world. And in the person of Jesus Christ, Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 5. He says, at just the right time when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, God in the flesh, came into this world out of love so that you could... I you and I could have a restored relationship with him. So that we could have an eternal relationship with him, eternal life. God didn't avoid us. No, he stepped into this world. He entered into it. God didn't fear us. No, he loved us. God didn't judge us. Instead, God and Jesus Christ took the judgment that we deserved upon himself. And as people, as Christians who have Jesus Christ living inside of us, people who have received his grace and received the good news of the gospel inside of us and are being transformed from the Holy Spirit from the inside out, here's what I want you to know. Jesus wants us to treat other people like he has treated us. It's that simple. Jesus wants us to treat other people like he has treated us. And more specifically, Jesus wants us to treat the other the way he treated the other when he walked this earth. And for us to do that, let's be honest, that's going to require some shifts. That's going to require some changes because Jesus lived very differently than you and I do. And we see different interactions um, as we look at Jesus' interactions with different people, people who were labeled the other in the Bible. And we see a lot of times that Jesus' interactions with other people made his disciples and others uncomfortable. 
And one of the clearest pictures of Jesus' engagement with someone who is the other is the story of Jesus in Samaria at Jacob's well with the Samaritan woman. And some of you know this story, right? You know the story where Jesus is in Samaria, which was the, the region of the Samaritans, a group who was the other for the Jewish people. The Samaritans were the other for the Jews. The Jews were the other for the Samaritans. They didn't believe the same things. They didn't marry one another. They typically didn't go into each other's territory. They lived separately from each other so that they wouldn't just simply destroy one another. And what's interesting is that we find Jesus here engaged and in entering into this culture. He engages and he enters into this culture and we find him in John chapter 4 at a well with a Samaritan woman. And John writes this. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus engages her. He enters into her world, and they begin to have a conversation and get to know one another. And she soon learns that he's the Messiah, and he soon learns some stuff about her that, well, she's not married right now, but she's had five husbands in the past. When Jesus finds that out, you know what most wise people would have done? Wise? They would have run away from that situation. Because they were already with a Samaritan, and two, they were with a woman alone in the middle of the day. A woman who had had five husbands, and what's that going to look like? But, John continues and he tells us this, that after their conversation, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. And this is interesting, no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? But then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And while the disciples didn't ask, Hey, what are you doing, Jesus? We know they wondered it. Because they were like you and me. They had typically avoided people who were different than them. They had typically avoided the other. And they saw what Jesus was doing and they saw that it was risky. But what Jesus is doing here in this story is what he calls us to do. He causes us to engage and enter other people's worlds who are different than us. And just like it was risky for Jesus, it's risky for us because when we do that, one, we risk our reputations, right? What are people going to say about us if I start just talking with people like that? We risk our beliefs because what if we have a conversation with somebody who's different than us and maybe we learn that we were wrong about something? We risk stepping into the unknown because when you enter a relationship with someone who's very different than you, you don't know where it's going to go or where it's going to lead. It's uncharted territory. And now some of you might remember a few years back when Chick-fil-A got in that big brouhaha. Do you all remember this? When Dan Cathy was asked what he thought about marriage and he affirmed traditional marriage. And then there were the protests against Chick-fil-A. And then there was the counter-protest against Chick-fil-A, you know, buying chicken in protest of the protest. And all of that was going on. And if you were on Facebook or social media during that time, right, you know 
it was crazy. It was wild all over the internet. And, you know, we're all debating it and talking about it and, and doing whatever. But what's interesting is what Dan Cathy was doing during all of this. Because Dan Cathy, in the midst of all of it, he didn't join in the protests or the anti-protests. Instead, he quietly reached out to one of the leading LGBT activists who was leading the charge against Chick-fil-A. His name was Shane Widemeyer. And Shane would later write an article in the Huffington Post about that interaction that he had with Dan Cathy. And he wrote this. On August 10th, 2012, in the heat of the controversy, I got a surprise call from Dan Cathy. I took the call with great caution. He was going to tear me apart, right? Give me a piece of his mind, turn his lawyers on me. The first call lasted over an hour. And the private conversation led to more calls the next week and the week after. He had never before had such dialogue with any member of the LGBT community. And it was awkward at times, but always genuine and kind. And it's not often that people with deeply held and completely opposing viewpoints actually risk sitting down and listening to one another. And we see this failure to listen and learn in our government, in our communities, and in our own families. But Dan, Kathy, and I would together try to do better than each of us had experienced before. Dan sought first to understand, not to be understood. And you can read the rest of his letter as he goes on, but it's interesting to see that in this risky and in this tenuous time, Dan Cathy reached out to someone who was very different than him. And in the article, he's going to say, right, nobody changed their minds in this conversation. They both had very deeply held beliefs. And the purpose of the conversation wasn't to convince each other or to argue anything. Instead, it was simply to engage and enter into the other's world. And Dan and Shane did that in the midst of this controversy. And as they engaged one another and entered into one another's world, at a level, they were imitating Jesus and how Jesus engaged the other. And that's what he calls us to do. To step out of our comfort zone and to risk a little bit. But the second thing he calls us to do is to not just engage and enter into other people's worlds, but it's also to make a shift from fearing other people to loving other people. Because when we look at Jesus' life, when he's interacting with all these people who are very different than him, Jesus isn't walking around fearful. He wasn't fearful of the leper. He wasn't fearful of the Samaritan woman. He didn't have fear of the other, of the rich, of the poor, of the powerful, of the people who lived outside the gate, of the outcast, of the sick, of the unclean. Jesus didn't have any fear like that because Jesus was full of love. And 1 John tells us this, that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. See, a lot of us, we think the opposite of love is hate. But according to the Bible, that's not the case. The opposite of love is fear. Because when we fear other people, we become closed off. When we fear other people, we separate ourselves, we divide ourselves, we kind of avoid them and we hunker down. But when we're loving other people, we're opening up ourselves up to them. We're risking. Love is simply seeking the good 
of the other. And a lot of times it costs us. And so that's the shift he calls us to make, to move from fear to love. And when we're moving from fear to love, one of the things to remember is that each person is created in the image of God, right? Every single person in this world, no matter if they share a lifestyle with you or they're living something you think is crazy, if they have diverse political views, if they look differently than you, they are uniquely created in the image of God. That's one thing to remember. The second thing to remember is that Jesus Christ died for them to redeem them as well. That we are all brought together at the foot of the cross. And Jesus wants us to love them. But not just love them with our heads or love them with our hearts or with our feelings. He wants us to put our love into action. And now, being a white educated male living in the southeast, I have rarely felt like the other. I can easily own that. But there was one season in my life where I definitely did feel like the other, when I was very different than the people around me. And that's when I lived for a season in Ahuachapan, El Salvador, a small village where there weren't many tourists. And when I walked around the village, they would call me Angelito. They would call me Angel because I had white skin, right? And my skin was different than everybody else in the community. My skin was different than everybody else. My accent, my language was different. My culture was different. And at times, it was uncomfortable for me. And a couple times when I was living there in that village, people uh, got angry with me and they yelled at me for being an American. And that was kind of a, a new experience for me. And one day I went back to the house my host family I was living with and I told them because one was a little close to home and he was following me and I, I felt very uncomfortable. And a guy who was living there named Christian well, Christian knew what it was like to be the other. Christian, he had been deported from Atlanta, so he had lived here definitely as the other, and now I was living in his house. And so Christian said to me, Jonathan, from now on, if you want to walk anywhere, I'll walk with you. I'll walk beside you. And I was kind of like, okay. But then I began to ask him when I wanted to go out in the evenings or other times. And whenever I asked him if he would walk with me, he would drop whatever he was doing and he would follow me around town. He would walk right beside me out of love. He didn't just talk about love or think about love or profess love as a Christian. He lived a life of love. And he challenged me and he challenges me now as I'm back home, and I'm not really the other anymore, he's challenged me to have eyes open to people who are different around me and to think about how I can love them. Because that's what Jesus calls us to do, to not live with fear, but to live with love. And then once we're engaging other people, entering their worlds, once we're loving them instead of fearing them, here's the final thing I want you to know. Instead of judgment, I want you to be open to surprises. Because when you begin living like Jesus, God begins to do very surprising things in your life. God surprises you because when you're in relationship with people who are different than you, sometimes you're surprised by just the simple beauty of God's creation and how diverse God's kingdom is. Sometimes God will surprise you by revealing to you your blind spots. 
and how you thought you knew something, but you didn't really know. God will surprise you and show you where maybe you need repentance and forgiveness in your own life. God will use people who are different than you to surprise you. But here's the other thing. God will use you to surprise other people, people who are different than you. God will use you to help grow them and to work in their life. The Holy Spirit, when it's working in our lives, one of the things it does is it opens us up. It opens us up to other people. And when we're open to other people and the Holy Spirit's living in us, then the Holy Spirit goes forth and does transforming work in our lives and in the lives around us. And some of you probably saw this news story recently, and I'll close with this, of a man named Ken Parker who had a couple interactions with people who were different than him, which led to some surprising things. Ken Parker was a man who used to be a Grand Dragon in a KKK chapter here in the state of Georgia. You can see pictures of him online. He was very loud, very proud. And last year he went to Charlottesville and he said he was there to, quote, stand up for my white race. And when he was there, he met a woman named Dia Khan, a woman who was very different than him, a Muslim woman with darker skin. And she was filming a documentary called White Right, Meet the Enemy. And now look, who's going to sign up for that documentary and be interviewed on that documentary? Ken Parker, right? Because he was loud and he was proud. He didn't care. He was going to go on Netflix into the world to let people know what he thought. And so he was interviewed for the documentary. But as he was being interviewed and as he was in relationship with Dia Khan, he said her kindness began to move something in his heart. Because he said this woman was kind and he began to ask himself, why do I hate these people again? So he did the interview, went home, went back to Florida, was living his life with his fiancée in their little neighborhood. And then one day, he went to a cookout in his neighborhood near the pool. And there was an African-American gentleman named William McKinnon there. And Ken says that there was just something different about this guy. And he had been thinking and wrestling with all these questions. And so this former Grand Dragon of the KKK goes over to this guy and begins asking him questions about race and who he was and how long he's lived in the neighborhood, he kind of stepped out and began engaging him a little bit. And it turns out that McKinnon was a pastor. And so McKinnon reached out to him and said, hey man, why don't you come to my my little African-American holiness church sometime? And on Easter, this past Easter, he went. Ken Parker went to that church and he began to feel God working in his heart and in his life. And he continued to have conversations with McKinnon. And then a few weeks later in April, he stood up in front of the church and gave a testimony about his past and his past beliefs. And he repented of his racism. Can you imagine that in a tiny African-American church, this white guy doing that. And then, yeah, it's awesome. And then a few months later, we have a picture of it. He traded in his robe for another robe. 
And William McKinnon baptized him there in the ocean. And when I think about the story, you can go online and you can see the interviews with him and see all the news clips. It's a powerful story. When I think about it, I'm so thankful that William McKinnon didn't avoid him. I'm so thankful that he didn't fear him or judge him. Instead, he engaged him. And he loved him right where he was, and they were both open to surprise. And boy, are there some surprises in this story. A new surprise friendship. And for Ken Parker, the surprise of life in Christ. So I want to ask you again, who is the other for you? And how might God want to surprise you?